Today's podcast is sponsored by Google. Parents want their children to be more safe and confident explorers of the digital world, but sometimes it can be tricky to find the balance. So Google created Be Internet Legends. It's a free learning program that teaches children online safety skills through PSHE accredited resources for teachers and a fun online game for families too. In partnership with Parent Zone, Be Internet Legends has reached over 70% of UK primary schools with its free toolkits and school assemblies. To find out more and see how Google's resources can help your school, search Be Internet Legends. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics. The answer, of course, is no. I'm delighted to be joined today by Ben Schreckinger, who is a correspondent at Politico and author of The Bidens Inside the First Family's 50-Year Rise to Power. Ben, congratulations on the book. It seems to me, as a Brit looking across the Atlantic, it seems to me that Joe Biden has always been seen as a, as a good guy and that the Biden family is sort of seen as a, as a good thing in the life of America. But the story is a bit more complicated, and I think your book reveals this. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, thanks for having me. The book grew out of uh, reporting I was doing for Politico during first the Democratic primary and then the, the general election that had to do with the various business dealings of Joe Biden's relatives over the years, obviously very famously. Hunter Biden's work for Burisma and Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump's unproven claims about about some things related to that became very central to American politics and to Trump's first impeachment. But there was a lot more there. Going back to Joe's first term in the Senate in the early 70s and some favorable loans his younger brother had gotten for a nightclub. And I was sort of hoping to, to reconcile this folksy image I had of the Biden family as just, you know, as someone who grew up as a consumer of American news media and had been a young journalist with what I was learning about various business dealings and the sort of conflict of interest questions that they raised, you know, allegations being put forth in court that they were trying to trade on their name or their political influence to make money or land foreign investments, that sort of stuff. And what emerges is a, a more nuanced picture of a you know, a family that is, in fact, very close, just as they portray themselves to be, but that has always aspired to great business success and always or almost always found that part of the route to trying to pursue that involves going to people who are political allies of the Bidens or have interests before Joe Biden or that sort of thing. There are some parallels, aren't there, with the Kennedys in that you have a sort of Catholic family coming to power, as it were, perhaps less glamorous than the Kennedys, but certainly there's always been this sort of wholesome image is presented, this very sort of attracted image is presented, and indeed spread by a lot of the media. Yeah, and the Kennedy comparisons go all the way back to that first Senate campaign when Joe Biden's 29, and his family has helped running the campaign, which is something that Jack Kennedy's family did in his early campaigns. They're hosting these teas that are actually modeled after teas that 
the Kennedys held and for Jack's early campaigns uh, to get for people, voters to get to know the family. They hire a Kennedy consultant, a former Kennedy aide on that first campaign. And so it's something that they intentionally cultivate. They, they view themselves as the successors to Cam Watt. The press early on identifies them as successors to Cam Watt. And other parts of their story there on out continue to draw comparisons. The, there are tragic deaths in the Biden family story, just as there are in the Kennedys. There's some reckless behavior in both families that factors into the story. One key difference is that the Kennedys made their money before going into politics, or at least Jack Kennedy's family was rich before he went into politics. And the Bidens have been trying to make their fortune after going into politics, and that's raised some some thorny issues for them. Well, what emerged with the Hunter Biden story, and I I know it was sort of pushed by right-wing factions that wanted to damage Biden, but what emerged was a definite playing off the name, an attempt to make money out of the fact that Hunter Biden had the Biden surname. I mean, it's it's sort of naked corruption in a way, is it not? Well, there is still going to be a lot of debate about the significance of what was found on that laptop. I've been able to corroborate parts of it, including a couple of important emails related to the New York Post's initial reports that were so controversial yes. uh, about Hunter being thanked by a Ukrainian businessman connected to Burisma, for a chance to meet Joe Biden while Joe Biden was vice president overseeing U.S. policy in Ukraine. Another one from the period between the Biden vice presidency and presidency where there's discussion of 10% of equity being held by each for the big guy. Mm. Um, Do you think the big guy must be the now president of the United States? Well, we have some evidence that it is in that Tony Bobulinski, who was involved in that deal, which was a deal that they were pursuing with Yi Jinping, a Chinese oil tycoon who has disappeared since then in China amid some reports in Chinese state media that he's been in, implicated in corruption over there, has come forward and said publicly, came, came forward during the campaign and said, yes, the big guy did refer to Joe Biden. This was discussion of Hunter holding equity on behalf of his father. That line in the email had a question mark at the end of it. Joe Biden's campaign has denied that he's ever even considered having a family member hold equity for him in a venture. But I've been able to independently corroborate with one person who had access to Hunter Biden's emails for a time that that email is genuine and raises questions if if Joe Biden has never considered holding equity or having a relative hold equity on his behalf, why was this email sent? What was Hunter discussing? Hunter has not come forward to talk about this. Other than Tony Bobulinski, we haven't had anyone really address head on why this line was included in that email. And there are a number of reasons to be concerned that this was being pursued. The Financial Times has linked Yi Jinping and CEFC Energy, the company that he was running at the time, to the Chinese military intelligence community has said that this is no ordinary private business. It's not clear exactly what was going on or, or, or whether there were ulterior motives involved in this plan, these plans for a deal. But it's just, it's indicative of a broader pattern where there are always questions or concerns about what is happening with the private dealings of Joe Biden's relatives. Do you find it weird? I mean, obviously, as a good journalist yourself, you are digging into this. But do you find it weird the lack of interest, not just in the media, but actually in among the public? I mean, I hope your book does very well, and I'm sure it will. But there seems to be, it's, it's an odd thing, is it not, that nobody's that interested in this story or hasn't been until hopefully your book blows it all open. 
You know, what I've found in the United States is that on the right critics of President Biden, you know, there is public interest, but it's confined to the right. Obviously, there are queer partisan reasons why Democrats have been less interested in this story and Republicans. Many Republicans, I actually think, have been, you know, incredibly interested, rabidly almost interested in Hunter Biden's saga, including this piece of it. But there are elements of this story that transcend partisan allegiance, you know, questions about the propriety of relatives of high office holders in the United States doing or pursuing these sorts of deals with foreign interests, especially if they're in China or in Eastern Europe with any factions that have been aligned with Russia or perhaps in Russia itself. But you are right to identify like a very, very queer partisan divide, both in how media outlets have approached the story and and in terms of the level of interest in the public. Obviously, China is, is a big part of it, but the Russia relationship is interesting because there's been some interesting moves within the Biden presidency towards Russia. And it seems that for all the talk of Trump being owned by Russia and so on, that Biden certainly has a, a curious relationship with Vladimir Putin. Is, is that a fair thing to say? Well, you know, Biden has spoken about having pretty antagonistic and written about having pretty antagonistic encounters with Vladimir Putin. You don't have a soul and all that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in terms of U.S. foreign policy towards Russia right now, it's not at the top of the agenda. I think China, the threat to Taiwan right now is clearly a bigger deal. Russia is a factor in the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. That's obviously a boon to Russia, a boon to Iran. So, you know, I I don't know yet what to make of Biden's stance on Russia and his relationship with Vladimir Putin, but clearly it'll be, you know, a factor in his presidency. And have you seen anything regards to China? Have you seen anything in the Biden administration that makes you suspicious about the previous relationship between the Biden family and China and what's going on now in the administration? No, there's nothing I can point to. I would say in general, the problem with relatives of important political leaders pursuing deals in places like China, especially if any of the entities are linked to Chinese state entities or that sort of thing, is that at the highest levels of power, you know, nation states are doing everything they can to affect the perceptions and the judgments and the actions of someone like a head of state who has so much leeway. And it's impossible to know what goes on inside the head of a head of state Uh, It's very difficult to know everything that goes on inside of a government. And and there's all sorts of levers that can be pulled and all sorts of efforts that go into influencing these people. And it makes it difficult for someone, an outside observer, to say, oh, he did X because of Y. But clearly, if something like pursuing business deals with the relatives of a head of state or a future head of state were not at all effective in influencing them, uh, then it wouldn't be part of the strategy that nation states pursue for for influence, and yet it is. And I think you got into writing this book because of Hunter Biden, I think I'm right in saying. And that is a very fascinating story because you have a son who was a drug addict who was essentially doing deals, getting rich, using the family name, 
But the story of the leak of the laptop is quite interesting. What have you discovered about that? Why did it come about? Is the what you suggested earlier is that there's a sort of mix of truth and rubbish within the Hunter laptop story. Is that right? Well, I haven't found anything that I can say is fake. I think that you could take something like this 10 held by H for the big guy email and jump to conclusions that aren't supported by what we know. But, you know, you could make up all sorts of hypotheses about what was going on there. Clearly, Joe Biden has been in Washington for 50 years. From time to time, his relatives' business dealings have sort of popped up as potential issues for him. But nothing has ever come to light that has totally blown up his political career. And, you know, there's a reason that Donald Trump chose Hunter as this massive theme of his campaign. Mm. Uh, but there's also a reason that in the end that didn't work and Joe Biden was elected. And I think that's because, you know, a lot of these activities raise serious questions, raise questions about, you know, why Joe Biden hasn't hasn't done more to publicly distance himself from their activities. There are some issues with public statements he's made. He said on the campaign trail that he's never had anything to do with his relatives business dealings and not discuss them with his relatives or with anybody else. But Tony Bogolinsky has come forward and said that's not true. In May of 2017 in Los Angeles, we did talk about this deal that that I was pursuing with your son and your brother with Yu Jinming. Do you think Tony Bobolinsky is credible? Well, that's something, you know, I sort of analyze what he's saying in the book. He was working with Trump-aligned operatives in the heat of a presidential campaign, and you have to take that into account, and that just gives you more reason to scrutinize what he's saying and be skeptical of it. At the same time, he was involved in business with the Bidens, his track record of political donations in years past, federal political donations, has been to Democrats primarily, including Ro Khanna, a congressman from California who has said that he knows Tony Bobulinski to, to be an honorable person. And the actual things that, that Bobulinski was saying, or at least some of these statements that I focus on in the book, they're not really huge leaps. He's saying, yeah, that 10 held by H for the big guy means what you might think it means on your first reading, that that the big guy is Joe Biden and H is Hunter. Yes. Um, that's not a totally fantastical claim to make in, in the full context of everything else in that email and everything else that we know about what Hunter's been up to in years past and the context of this deal and that sort of thing. But that, that brings us back to the problem, isn't it? Which is that people think that sort of right-wing anti-Biden people are so crazy that they don't lend any credibility to what might actually be true. And everything becomes... This is, you know, crazy talk. This is what the crazy people say online. Whereas, as you say, there is actually a real story here. Yeah, and that was largely the point of this book, which is everything that Donald Trump says doesn't have to be true, but that doesn't mean that the entire area of what he's talking about, Hunter Biden and his business dealings, should be sort of cordoned off and immune from scrutiny and completely dismissed as a subject. And it's a very, very, I don't know, messy endeavor to wade into these claims and counterclaims and put them in context and, and try to make sense of pieces of evidence that are, are sometimes contradictory, but try to assemble something of a mosaic of, well, you know, what can we say based on 50 years of history and a, a number of episodes, you know, well over a dozen episodes of 
Biden relative business ventures that raise various questions. And the answer is that there are, you know, real conflict of interest concerns that have been raised by their dealings again and again. Let me ask you about one specific part of the Hunter Biden story, which is the laptop that was discovered in a repair shop. Is that true? That's a great question. And that is something that is still, I think, to be determined. John Paul McIsaac, this MacBook repair owner who is legally blind, by the way, which was just one of these. There were, you know, there were so many quirks to this story that was offered as to how this this laptop came into the possession of the New York Post, which was that this legally blind repairman had received it. You know, it had Hunter Biden's name on it. Someone had signed Hunter Biden's signature, but he said he couldn't be sure if it was Hunter Biden. That's what he initially said. Since then, after the election, he said, you know, I was so intimidated by these reporters and I knew because I was legally blind that if I said for sure it was Hunter, it wouldn't be taken seriously. So I sort of balked. But no, it was Hunter Biden. He's He's been more unequivocal since the election. We have this story that he got this laptop, these pieces of equipment. Hunter Biden never came back for them and contractually they became his property. And then he eventually got them to Rudy Giuliani and, and they made it into the New York Post just in time to shake up the presidential election. It's sort of a wild story. Rudy Giuliani is someone who was reportedly at that time had been in touch with at least one Russian proxy who was pushing claims about the Bidens in Ukraine. Steve Bannon was also involved in getting this laptop, the New York Times, a self-described propagandist. There was every reason to be skeptical of this story. The real answer is we don't know. Hunter Biden has said he doesn't remember whether he left it at the repair shop. From what we know about Hunter Biden's lifestyle at this time, it's completely plausible that he would have left the laptop and forgotten about it. He left another laptop behind at the office of a psychologist in Massachusetts uh, around the same time. Seriously leaving laptops everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and that psychologist was raided by the DEA in an unrelated matter. And so a Hunter Biden laptop was in possession of the Trump DEA for a while. And then Hunter Biden was able to get it back through his lawyer because he had nothing to do with, with that. But it just sort of illustrates, you know, the chaos in this guy's life. He is leaving laptop. He left at least one laptop somewhere that ended up in the hands of someone he, you know, he didn't want it to be in the hands of. So it's, it's completely plausible. But also given the context, you know, you can't rule out that you'll wake up tomorrow and find out actually there's more to the story of, you know, how these files came into the public domain. I mean, the conspiracy theory is that it's Russia or another state actor effectively hacked Hunter and delivered this information in time to try and shake up the election. Is that true? I haven't found any real evidence for that. Circumstantially, those sorts of things do happen. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd, I'd hate to rule it out definitively because I do think, you know, wake up tomorrow or in a year or in 10 years and say, oh, yeah, by the way, actually, there's more to this, more to the story of, of what happened with these files. So I don't know. I, I've been able to corroborate some of the files. It's always possible that there's something fake slipped in because there's hundreds of thousands of emails. And that's part of the, you know, the devilish conundrum of reporting on something like this and trying to suss out what's real and what's true and what it means. Lastly, let's go pre- Hunter, I mean, pre-Hunter being a player in this, there's a lot of allegations about Joe Biden and his role in Delaware. And, you know, he was known as the 
what was it, the senator from MBNA, am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, which is a credit agency or credit group, and that he was effectively pushing legislation on behalf of the credit lobby, which is a very, very powerful lobby in America. How much new stuff did you uncover there? What I did is I, I put it all in context, you know, probably for the first time. But what you see is that that is a very serious episode. It was one of the most sensitive episodes that came up when the Obama team was vetting Joe Biden for vice presidency. There is a Hunter component to it. Basically, there was this this big credit card company, a bank in Delaware, that was very, very politically active. It had a president, Charles Colley, who was very, very good at cultivating politicians. This company's executives were giving a lot of money to George W. Bush. I think they were second only to Enron for a time as a source of donations to Bush. And they cultivated Joe Biden. They were big donors to him. They employed Hunter Biden first in-house and then later as a consultant. And during that period, Joe Biden became a big champion of their top legislative priority in Congress, which was this bankruptcy reform bill that basically would make it much harder for people to discharge credit card debt when they declare bankruptcy. So consumer advocates, people like Elizabeth Warren, who was then still a professor, not yet a senator, were dead set against this. Biden took several actions to try to push this bill forward, and it was a fight for many years, and eventually it did pass into law. At one point during this period, he also sold his house to an MBNA executive. The reporting is that this was at fair value for the House. But there are just tons of touch points between Biden and his campaign and his family and his personal life and this bank during this period. And is something that he's been excoriated for, especially on the left, for years now, and something now that, that people on the right are also talking about as well. This is quite a indelicate thing to ask, so sorry about that. But do you think the tragedy of... Joe Biden's life. There's been a lot of tragedy. Death, Beau Biden died, um, the car crash, his wife died. It sort of blinds people to actually the reality of the Biden family operation, which is a sort of, as you say, a kind of business. Yeah, I think that very clearly it's an important part of his public image, and it's something that he doesn't shy away from when he's crafting his public image and crafting his story for public consumption. It elicits enormous sympathy from people and allows him to connect with voters and with regular people in a pretty profound way. But is, yeah, as as you suggest, it is part of a Biden story that is part of a political image-making process that goes along also with the sort of folksy image that people have of him. It's not just the tragedy, which is an important part of it. I think it's also the roots in Scranton, the sort of lunch pail image of Joe Biden, someone who's commuting by train like a regular person to work in Washington. And it does obscure, I think, the more complex reality of, you know, he's a political operator. He's, you know, aspires or aspired, especially when when his other son, Beau, was still alive, to creating a political dynasty. And, you know, I think it's important that there be a, a you know a complete accounting of the story of Joe Biden and and his family that that includes both of those facets. Well, Ben, you've you've managed to do that, so that is a worthy contribution to history that you've achieved with your book. Thank you very much for coming on. I hope we'll get you on again. 
Thanks for having me, and I hope to be back soon. Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. Thank <laughs> you.